If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I believe the Lord has a word for us today from this text. You see on the screen, the title of this message is The Devil at Church. If you're looking in the Pew Bible, it's a page about 845, Mark chapter 1. The story we're going to read today is um, a story that kind of flows out of the normal occurrence in the life of Jesus. If you read uh, previous, you'll find he just extended a call to some fishermen to follow him. And then he went in to town on the Sabbath. And he began, as his custom was, to preach, because that's what he did. And as we read, you see the devil at church. As we read about this demon-possessed man at church, you find he was there surprisingly. It would seem that this demon-possessed man had some lucid moments, and so they led him into church. And if we were to make that application today... We understand that there are those who are controlled by Satan, and we understand that those who are controlled by Satan do have lucid moments where they're not recognized to be filled with the devil. Jesus referred to them as, as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And today we're going to take a look and see, and you going, Brother Jerry, how can you make any kind of salvation application from the devil being at church? Uh, I told y'all you're... Uh, few weeks back that when somebody told me when I was a music director that when uh, God kicked Satan out of heaven, he landed in the choir loft. Now, those who just got out of the choir, aren't you glad you're not there today, all right? Let's read this story and hear what God has to say to us. If you will, stand to honor the reading of God's word, only a few verses, if you can. Then they went into Capernaum. And right away, he, being Jesus, entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because, unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit, i.e. demon-possessed, was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so they began to argue with one another, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. His fame, his fame then spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll take this portion of your word today. And we pray that you'll open the minds And the hearts that are in this place. 
In fact, we hope, we pray that you will open the eyes of our minds and our hearts. That we can hear from you what you have to say to us today. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The devil at church. Quite likely, quite likely, this was not this man's first trip into the synagogue. I submit, suggest, can conceive that he had been there many times with no incident. And yet when God showed up, when God showed up, he showed out. I suggest to you today that when God shows up, it requires a response from the evil one. All too often, we can say that we see this happen. I, I, I submit to you that church as we know it goes on with little or no response from Satan. And then one day God shows up, and when God shows up, all bets are off because the very presence of Almighty God is enough to get a reaction from Satan. Now, I mean, when God shows up, Satan's going to be somewhere in the mix. He's going to be around. We see it in this story today. I just want to break down our thinking. This may be the shortest or it may develop into the longest message that we've had. But, it, but it's going to be very simple. Let me just give you three thoughts this morning. The, the beginning, I want to suggest to you and let you see the attraction to the devil. What in the world is the attraction to the devil to come to church? Why in the world would he come to church? I mean, here were religious people trying to worship his arch enemy. Ostensibly, we've gathered together to worship God. Why would he come? What would be his attraction? Why would he even want to be in the building? And I'll suggest to you three reasons. First of all, he, the devil, has always been religious. He's also monotheistic. You do know that, don't you? James tells us that Satan himself knows there's a God and believes in God, and he shudders. You see, the truth is, is that Satan is opposed to Christianity, but he's all about churchianity. Can I say that again? Satan is opposed to Christianity, but he is all about churchianity. He loves to see people get together. And particularly when they get together in the church house and they're insincere. They, they're not really reaching up. They really are not trying to touch God. They really come for all kind of other reasons. He loves to get together with those folks because he loves crowds. He loves to show up and he loves meetings. And you know why that is? Second reason that he shows up is because he's always Looking for easy prey. And if you're writing down, you might want to say he's always looking for easy prey to deceive. He always wants to, to get in and, and control somebody. I mean, when you read this book and you read about this demon possession and you read about other demon possessions, you can go to the bank that Satan wants to control people. He wants to control whomever he can. And if he can get to you before God gets to you, then he will get control, to you because, control of you because the people who are easiest to control are people 
who are not already under God's control. He will come looking for that weak heart, that weak mind. In fact, I think that's what happened in Scripture to Judas. I think that's what happened in Scripture to Agrippa. We can name others that Satan got to them and Satan controlled them before they ever met God. But what about those folks who know God? You see, Satan wants to possess those people who do not have a relationship with God, and he can do that. Still today, Baptist, you may not like the talk and the thought of demon possession, but Satan can still possess people today who don't know God. He wants to possess those lost people, but you know what else he wants to do? He wants to oppress those people who do know God. He wants to oppress them. He wants to shut them their mouths. He wants you to think that Satan knows what is best. Are you listening? He wants you to think that he knows what is best. And if you're an authentic believer, he wants to oppress you and he wants to, what the scripture says is, sift you. He wants to see what you're made of. That's what Jesus told Peter in the upper room. He said, oh, Peter, Satan has asked for permission to sift you. And you know what happened after that? Peter denied Jesus three times. Satan is, is, is around because he's looking for easy prey. Can I just say this to you? Satan, the devil, is not happy with you as long as one ounce of spiritual life exists in your spirit. He's looking for people who are vulnerable. He's looking for people who are deceivable. And he is looking for people who are controllable. And so he shows up at church. But not only has he always been religious, not only is he looking for easy prey. Here's the big one. He's always looking and seeking to be worshipped. Think about it. You go back in Isaiah chapter 14 when he was cast out of heaven. He said, man, I'll arise and I'll be as good as God. And people will love me. And by the way, we're told that he was the most beautiful of all angels. His beauty worked on his conceit and his arrogance. And he rose himself up because he wanted to be worshipped like God. You go to Matthew chapter 4 when he confronted Jesus. Once again, he wanted Jesus to fall down and worship at his feet. One day, we're going to get to it in Revelation. He still wants people to fall down and worship at his feet. He still desires the worship that goes to our Heavenly Father. And candidly, every time we give in to him, every time we allow him to take a place in our life above God, we worship him. You see, he puts temptations in our lives to pull us away from God. He puts things in our lives to pull us toward him. And we worship him the moment we bow down to his temptations, the, his lure, if you will, the hook. And that's what he wants. And that's why he comes to church meetings. That's why he's here today. He's always been religious. He loves to get together with people because people are his prey. And he's looking for easy prey. And so he comes into the church. You know what I read a long time ago, Brother Terry? You've probably read it since I have. That the largest number of people in cults today are former Baptists. 
Because Baptists, by and large, are ignorant of the Scripture. And they're easy prey. The second thing I want you to see is not just the attraction to the devil to come to church, but how about the aim of the devil once he gets there? What is his... I mean, better, better ask, we could ask, if he comes in here, what does he want to accomplish in here? Now, please listen. Let's don't super spiritualize this. Let's make this as practical as possible. First thing he wants to do is he wants to undo what God does. He wants to undo what God has done. And may I just say this? The first two reasons are so interconnected, it's hard to, to pull them apart. But you see, when God shows up in a place, when God comes into this place, Satan wants to be close at hand because when God does something miraculous, Satan wants to get into your heart and your mind and he wants to explain it away. Have you ever wondered why the church of the first century, there were so many miraculous signs, and today we seem to see so few miraculous signs of deliverance, of changed lives? It's because Satan's kind of got around us and undone in us what God has done for us and through us. You see, Satan, Satan worms his way into the church. You go, Brother Jerry, I don't believe that. Well, go read Jude. It's only a few verses. Go read the book of Jude and you'll find that evil men worm their way into the churches. Satan worms his way into the churches. He worms his way into our services. He worms his way into our heart and he plants seed of unbelief. Unbelief that a miracle could happen here. For some, you, week before last, we went off to refresh, had a great time in the Lord together, felt and sensed the Lord every day. And yet there are those of us who we really don't believe God can do that here. Seventeen years ago, eighteen years ago, I went to a church in South Mississippi. It was very tired church, quite honestly, it was a church. I think those leaders, so they were standing here today, would tell you that when they spoke with me, they felt like their church had one more chance. And I want to tell you something. Jerry Watts didn't go there and turn that church around. God turned turn that church around. But you know what happened in the course of that? People who today are like family to us, we were making some changes in the worship service and how we worshiped. And they came to me one day and they said, you know what? I said, every time I need a little spark in my spiritual life, I go up there to this and so church. It was an assembly of God. I said, yeah, tell me about it. And man, they went on and on about it. And honestly, these were some of the very people who had been opposing what we were trying to do in our location, Jerry. And I said, well, let me ask you this question. Why is it that you have to go up there to find that spark? Why can't you allow the spark to happen here? You see, the truth is Satan gets into a church and he tries to undo what God wants to do. The saddest verse in the Bible to me is Matthew thirteen fifty eight. 
Write it down. Go read it. And it says, and he, Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And that was his hometown. You see, God acts to develop us and Satan acts to destroy us. That's why he's here. Satan comes to undo what God does, and you'll see how closely connected this is, because Satan comes to place doubt, to place doubt in the minds of his people. You see, when clear, when truthful teaching and preaching occur, Satan will be there to try to counter it in people's minds and their hearts, because Satan is the great counterfeiter. He is that little voice in your head. Now, you listening? Satan is that little voice in your head that says, this is not that important. We don't need to do that. That's not right. He's that little voice in your head that says, well, I know the Bible says this, but I believe if you ever find yourself saying that, you can know that it didn't come from God. You see... Satan places doubt in our lives, and we miss the mark. Let me just give you one illustration. There is no other scripture in the Bible we have missed the mark more than Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33 begins with these words. Seek first. Seek first. First, did you hear that? Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, let's just pause right there. And perhaps we need just to pause and have a prayer. A prayer of admission and a prayer of confession that we've missed that mark. You see, there are three concepts in those six words. There's the concept of seeking. There's the concept of first. And there is the concept of the kingdom of God. And unless God changes my mind, we will develop that passage next week on National Back to Church Sunday in detail. But let me just give you the snippet. We know exactly what seeking is because there's a lot of seeking going on in our lives. We seek for boyfriends. We seek for girlfriends. We seek for job. We seek for money. We seek for prestige. We seek for popularity. We seek uh, for other things. We know what seeking is. First, oh man, we know yesterday football. We know exactly what first is. We want the top. We want the best. We know about seeking and we know about first. And we even know about a, the kingdom of God. A little bit about it. But here's the rub. When you put those three concepts together like Jesus did, seek first the kingdom of God. We blow it all to pieces. Are we really seeking First, the kingdom. You see, that's the doubt that Satan, the devil, is right here putting in our minds. You know, ever since I've been here, I've envisioned a day when we needed to have two or three morning services. Whether we have evening services or not, it's fine. But we have people here who are being discipled. We're discipling people. We're training people. Do you believe that or do you doubt that? God said, all things are possible with me. Hey, and you know what else he said? He says, without me, you can do nothing. 
Hello? That's what Satan wants us to hear. Nothing. The aim of, of Satan is to undo what God does, to place doubt in the mind of believers. Now, hang on to your seats. Remember, Jesus was teaching with spiritual authority. Another reason Satan shows up at church is because he wants to undermine spiritual authority. The concept of spiritual authority in the church in America in the 21st century is one of those areas that he has done very well. You make no mistake where divine spiritual authority is perceived, Satan will be on point to destroy, watch this, both the authority and the speaker. When you read in this book what just happened in this story, Jesus himself was standing there preaching, and the devil sent his messenger to interrupt the service, and he began to shout out, scream out, and attempt to turn the crowd on Jesus. You see, evil cannot stand for authority and authoritative truth to be told. And generally, when there is authority and there is divine truth being spoken, Satan will react, and sometimes it will be violent. It's what happened to Jesus. It's what happened in the church in America today. Dr. Tom Rayner was sitting with a friend of mine not long ago, and he said, uh, Dean, pastors today are under attack like never before. Dr. Tom Rayner, if you don't recognize that name, he is the president of Lifeway and uh, a very knowledgeable person for years. He was a, I'm not sure what I want to call him, he took surveys, a statistician, man, he, he crunched numbers about what was going on. And here's what I'll say to you before you fire up here down the hall and go, Brother Jerry, no pastor has the same authority as Jesus. And I would say you're exactly right. But here's what I will also tell you, that every pastor, every man called to be in a place, God has put a solemn responsibility and a huge task before them. You see, Satan does his best. Are you listening? Satan does his best to undermine God's man. Satan does his best to bring about chaos in a church. Have you ever thought about it? God organized Jesus, birthed his church, and he sent someone to lead it, just like an army. In fact, we're called army. We used to be sing about being an army. All we're Christian soldiers, marching as to war. Can you imagine being in an army where that private disrespected the captain? I, you say, well, the, he'd be court-martial. I'm not talking about the court-martial part. I'm talking about for their goal. What would happen on the battlefield if the captain gave the order and all the privates decided not to follow his leadership? Can I tell you what? All of them would be killed. 
And I submit to you, that's what Satan is trying to get done in the church today. And he's being pretty good at it. That's why he shows up at church. That's his saying. But I said all of that because I wanted to say this. You go, whew, we had to put up with all that to get to the... Here's the, here's the real crux of this message today because we're going to get back and you're going to see it right here as we get to the third thought. As we get to the third thought, the actions by the devil. We can find all three of these thoughts right here. And here's what I'm going to tell you. The unclean spirit was comfortable in the church, right? The unclean spirit was comfortable in church until Jesus showed up. Now watch this. When Jesus showed up, the unclean spirit, the demon, the devil, he did some things that he did not even realize he was doing. Watch this. First of all, he recognized Jesus. Did you hear that? Satan recognized Jesus. I mean, when he realized who he was hearing, he couldn't help himself. He had to interrupt. He had to cry out in a loud voice. And he said, what do you have to do with us? And then he called him by name, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he continued his diatribe. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. I mean, can you believe it? All Jesus did was show up, and Satan's calling him by name. Satan's identifying him. Satan is leaving no doubt as to who he was. Do you know people recognize Jesus when they come face to face with him? Luke records. Luke records. In chapter 2, that when he was a baby, Jesus was a baby that a spirit-filled man named Simeon recognized Jesus on sight. Several places in Scripture, John the Baptist recognized Jesus on sight. And here in the synagogue, even Satan, even the demon recognize Jesus on sight. Here's the question for you today. Are the demons more familiar with Jesus than you? Do you recognize him when you see him? Do you recognize him when you hear his voice? Do you recognize him in your life? Are you like Zacchaeus and you're longing to see him and so you even climb up a tree? Or are you like his hometown of Nazareth, And he can't do much in your life because of your unbelief. The demon recognized Jesus. The second thing he did, he responded to Jesus. Are you getting this? The demon recognized him and the demon responded to him. When the demon interrupted the service, interrupted the teaching, Jesus said, you be quiet and you come out. You be quiet and you come out. That word be quiet in the, in the language literally, in the original language literally means to be muzzled or to hold your peace. In other words, no more talking. Jesus told him to be quiet. And you know what the demon did? He did the only thing we can do when Jesus speaks to us. He obeyed him. And when he came out of him, 
Are you ready for this? When the demon came out of him, all he could muster was a cry of agony. You see, you see, the truth is, is that when Jesus speaks, we have to respond. Jesus didn't give the demon a choice. He said, come out. But isn't it interesting today that Jesus has come? He has given his life for you. He shed his blood to pay your sin. He rose from the grave to make you right before God. He did all that. So as one of the benefits, not the primary purpose, as one of the benefits you can miss hell, the primary purpose was to bring you back to God. He did all of that. And then he gave you a choice. He gave you a choice. He may be saying to you this morning, be quiet, be muzzled, hold your peace. He might be saying things like, stop talking about how you can make it without me. Stop saying this is not important. Stop making excuses. Stop standing in their way. What's he telling you to say today? Is he telling you to be quiet? Here's what I will say to you is that when Jesus shows up in your life and in this church, he has an agenda. He wants to clean up your place. He wants to clean up your heart. He wants to save your soul. He wants to make you into what he wants you to be. And when Jesus shows up, he'll dismiss all the evil and the evil ones. And he'll begin, listen, teenagers, when Jesus shows up in your life, he'll begin working on your heart. He'll begin working on your attitude. He'll begin working on your relationships. He'll begin making you the person that He wants you to be instead of what your friends want you to be. You see, when you respond to Jesus, He will give you, are you listening? He'll give you hope. He'll give you inner peace. He'll be a friend. You know, the day teenagers, the big thing is friends. Friends get more of us in trouble than we can even imagine. And Jesus will be your best friend if you'll let him. And he won't get you in trouble. He won't put you down, put you out, or put you aside. You see, when Jesus comes in, he gives us hope. He gives us help. He gives us peace. He gives us life. He gives us security. He gives us salvation. He gives us a reconnection to God. But you have to hear Jesus speak or the evil one's never going to go away. He'll come to you and he'll say, listen, you're a sinner. If you don't believe me, you remember the other night? Remember the other day? You remember the other week? You remember 10 minutes ago? And he'll say, you're a sinner and I have the forgiveness for your sin. If you'll just come to me. Have you heard his call? Have you responded to him? The, the demon heard him and he did what Jesus said. Have you done what Jesus called you to do and to be? Uh, time's gone. He not only recognized Jesus. Do you recognize Jesus? He not only responded to Jesus. And have you responded to Jesus? But you're not going to believe this. I don't even think Satan believed it after it's all over. This demon, he revealed Jesus. 
revealed Jesus to everybody. You see, the unclean spirit not only called Jesus by name, he not only revealed Jesus by his authority, but the way this whole incident came down, verse 28 says, he made Jesus famous. Are you listening? Verse 28, his, Jesus' fame then spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. You see, when we come before God in the right way, and the evil one comes to us and attempts to destroy things, and, and the evil one comes and interrupts our lives, and he, he sends trouble and struggle and trials to us. And temptations to us. Watch this. Jesus can use that interruption in your life to build his kingdom. But it's predicated on us coming to Jesus in the right way. Now, how should we come to Jesus? No one's sin has been more preached about, talked about, published, written about than King David. King David, Bathsheba. All the good that King David did, for many, if you mention King David, they talk about Bathsheba. And yet after Nathan came to King David, Psalm 51 records his repentance and his testimony. But this is what it says. If you want to know how to come to Jesus, you look down in verse 17, chapter 51, it says this. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken heart. You see, he expects us to be honest. He expects us to be open. He expects us to love him. He expects our hearts to be broken when we sin. I fear. I fear because of the response in this room week after week after week. I fear that we're not brokenhearted by our sin or either the evil one has wormed his way into our lives to the point that we believe we have no sin. And the scripture says, if you think, if you say you have no sin, you make him a liar. And I'm afraid that as we gather week after week after week, we enter this building. And you need to just have no illusions or you need to make no mistake. When we gather in this building, the unclean spirit is here with us. He's here trying to nudge us. He's trying to nudge us not to participate in the service, not to sing. He's trying to, to nudge us to dismiss the prayer time you know come on brother Jerry we can just pray by ourselves he's nudging us to minimize whatever message is preached 
He's saying to us, you know, the preacher's just way too serious about this thing. He's here trying to control us and manipulate us. And when we listen to the evil one in this room, we've listened to him in our heart. And Satan wins the day. Is he going to win the day in your life today? Let me tell you what you already know. Satan doesn't give a rip about you. He doesn't care about you. He would give up nothing for you. And Jesus gave up everything for you. If you had to look over the last week of your life, who would have won the victory for the week? Would it have been Satan? For Jesus. You see, Jesus calls you even today. Hueytown folks, charter members, members who joined last week, non-members. Jesus called you today as to respond to him. Recognize him and let him be revealed in your life. It begins at Calvary's cross. The ground is not only level at Calvary's cross, but as we'll hear tonight, it's solid. Would you let him change your life today? Would you not any longer allow Satan, the devil, to get the victory in your heart, in your life, and at church? Let's pray.